electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, Robinhood CEO Vlad Tenev. We think we've just scratched the surface. There's a lot more that we could do to serve people. One of the hottest public market debuts of the year. The company nearly synonymous with the meme stock trade is valued at more than $30 billion. I think it's a unique company. There's not a lot of companies with our growth profile and our product set in financial services. Andrew Ross Sorkin has the interview and the analysis on Robinhood's moment. Does the retail audience flip or not? And does the institutional money come into an investment like this because they say to themselves, the retail money is smart money or do they think the retail money is dumb money? Plus lessons from buzzy IPOs past and hitting the road with Joe Kernan. Don't worry about getting a vacuum cleaner. In your minivan, get a car with adaptive cruise control. That was the feature I was looking for. It's Thursday, July 29th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand under by in three, two, one. Cue Andrew. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Joe Kernan and Morgan Brennan. Becky's off today. we got a big show. Uh, The Robin Hood IPO is upon us. It's here. The most anticipated offering of the year, trading app Robinhood, set to launch today on the NASDAQ. The online brokerage broke into the mainstream this year amid the meme stock mania surrounding GameStop and AMC. Robinhood's had a big pandemic. Millions of Americans, many of them young, millennials and Gen Z, have discovered day trading through the ease of Robinhood's app. About 18 million monthly users are now attracted to the game-like interface of buying stocks in thousands of companies without the middleman of a broker. Here's CEO Vlad Tenev on Squawk Box earlier this year. This idea that all retail investors are unsophisticated, they shouldn't be managing their money, and they should leave that to the experts or institutions is a notion that we just have to move past. But with growth came a few speed bumps, system outages, an SEC investigation, and the company's controversial decision to halt trading in certain names right at the moment of their popularity, the meme stocks, and upsetting a virtual army of Reddit-reading day traders slash Robin Hoodies. Here's Tenev again in January. I know how Clorox and Lysol felt at the beginning of the pandemic when they couldn't provide enough hand sanitizer and, and wipes to, to shoppers. These are unprecedented times. And it got the CEO hauled in front of Congress, virtually. But half of U.S. Mr. households Mr. participated. Mr. Staff, uh, I would like you to use your limited time to talk directly to what happened January 28th. For a House Financial Services Committee hearing on the decision and the meme merry-go-round. Isn't it true that being concerned about having enough capital uh, to meet deposit requirements, isn't that a liquidity problem? Or could you just answer yes or no? Chairwoman Waters, I appreciate the opportunity to address that. Just yes or no? We always felt comfortable with our liquidity and the additional capital that Robinhood raised. Please answer yes or no. We always felt comfortable. I don't have time. I just need a yes or no answer. I, I stand by my statement. 
At the time of this podcast, Robinhood's potential market value is $32 billion. It's expected to open under $40 a share. Now, the muted pricing could be a reflection of lukewarm investor sentiment, that maybe there weren't so many clamoring to get in to buy shares the way you'd expect of a high-growth venture-backed unicorn with such buzz. And maybe it's an attempt to be more cautious. There is risk of regulation and litigation. Or Robinhood's revenue could decline as the popularity of trading things like Dogecoin fades. Or post-COVID life leaves less time for day trading. Let's get back to Andrew. This is probably what we're thinking. This is the biggest, you said biggest IPO well, no, I, Facebook. I don't know about that. I don't know in size, in terms of, uh, I don't know, cultural significance, cultural, maybe. The zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it might be. You remember might Facebook? Be. And the involvement went, of retail yeah. investors as well. Remember Facebook went down and, and, and we, I remember getting some texts from really smart people saying, you guys really made a big deal out of this Facebook thing. And now look what happened. For the first time, we're going to actually see the numbers. So we're going to know whether they're actually doing something untoward, doing something that you wouldn't want them to be doing. This is going to be the great reveal. There's a lot of disappointment that there was this logjam of order flow really at the opening. The traders experiencing problems changing, canceling their orders ahead of the Facebook IPO. Now look. Really, well, that's, we, always, you know, that's always the thing. Even when there's IPOs that have gone... Terribly. I mean, you can go back and look at, uh, I don't know, I wouldn't say it was terrible, but I remember when Pinterest had its IPO and it was, I don't even know what the price is, but now it's, you know, four or five times that and right. a year year two later. Right. Anyway. Which may, maybe, that's a, uh, maybe that provides some interest and support for Robinhood because, I, well, they priced it at the right. low end, right? So let's so talk let, about let's it. Let's tell everybody what's going on. So the stock app, uh, stock trading app, pricing its IPO at $38 per share last night. That was the low end of the expected range. The range at that point was 38 to $42. Company raising close to $2 billion in its offering. It's valued now at about $32 billion all in. The co-founders of the company uh, each sold about $50 million worth of stock themselves personally. But... Okay. What's your, what, what, what's so your they say, all right, we want to price it at the low end because we want it to be a really good day for everybody. So, uh-huh. we, you know, we could have priced it at the high end, but, we, okay, do you believe that? Maybe, okay, I'll, I'll tell you. The other thing they say, you know, we're giving so many individual investors access to getting in on, right. on the IPO price. It's unclear what that's going to mean, but I thought all Robinhood types and Reddit types were steel, what are they, diamond hand holders? Diamond hands. And they hold stocks that are worth, like, they hold them when they're worth $150 a lot of times, right? So they, maybe they don't, maybe it isn't a different type of IPO because they're, they're not going to get flipped. Actually, a normal IPO gets a lot of flipping. Maybe there won't be as much flipping. Well, so that's the question. Does the retail audience flip or not? And does the institutional money come into a, uh, an investment like this because they say to themselves, the retail money is smart money or do they think the retail money is dumb money? Right. That is sort of the, the sort of underlying question, I think, as they're trying to figure out who's going to get these shares. Yeah. Or you can make the argument, not smart or dumb, but valuable money. Right. Which is what we know from right. watching. And I know you've been covering it yep. so closely. I mean, just going back to GameStop and everything that happened back in January, how valuable that payment for order flow is when it comes to retail investors trades, right? right. Um, but you, I mean, you guys mentioned Facebook. Back in 2012, when Facebook did go public, they sold about 25% of the IPO to individual investors, too. We did see how, it, yep. how things went out on that day. Hello. There we go. Look, there we, we have it. it. Facebook opening for trade. Now it is officially a public company. This is not the kind of day most people expected. Glitches or no glitches. A lot of millionaires and billionaires were minted today.
There have been some other examples where you've had these larger allocations to retail investors. It hasn't always necessarily, at least on day one, been the smoothest ride. But that was a 2000. No way. 2012. No way. 2012. 2012. Nine years ago, my friend. God, I'm die soon. Nine years like, went that quickly. Do you remember? It was like yesterday. I remember, I remember Mark Zuckerberg. They 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 rung Nine the opening years. bell from out at HQ, not our HQ, but uh, Facebook HQ. It was one of the first times I'd seen them do this sort of remote um, opening of the exchange. This pandemic has been time dilation. Although there's other things where it's been time seemed longer. I, it's really screwed up our whole. You know, two years did go pretty fast. Where did it go? We, we've been dealing masks and all this crap. But uh, I can't believe it's been nine years because I remember getting that email from people saying, you know, you guys really you guys really were hyping this thing. Now it's down. And we didn't hype it. It was worth hyping. It was a big story just like this is. And, and Sorkin, no one can deny, Morgan, that Robin Hood has an unbelievable future. Wouldn't you say that as, yeah. as a as a, an, a public entity? I think it has a fascinating future. It should have a very good future. The only thing that I don't know, and I think it's the sort of big question, is how do you think about Robinhood relative to a Coinbase, relative to a TD Ameritrade, and, or, or any, any of the other sort of brokerages, and do they all start to look like each other over time, and what does that do? Now, Robinhood's brand, I think, unto itself has a, has a sort of there's a special sauce there, and the question is how can you keep that special sauce going? Well, and to your point, there there is that debate, that argument out there ahead of today's debut that right. Robinhood is currently overvalued, based on that's you know, based on being worth twelve billion, like and a just year based ago. on those comparables of other online brokerages right. and the like right now. So I think that's sort of swirling in the mix too. But um, overall, I mean, it is part of this bigger, broader story we've been covering about this sort of idea. And I mentioned Facebook nine years ago, but in general. Um, you know, this thinking outside of the box where public offerings are concerned, whether it is giving more shares, you know, to retail investors out of the gate or whether it's direct listings or SPACs or everything else we've been talking about, this idea of being able to engage more people more broadly in this process. So, But the question is, right now, we were just looking at the market this morning. Do you look, by the way, you see the the opening of Duolingo yesterday, Mm -hmm. up 36% on the day. So I think there's a lot of people inside sort of IPO land that are thinking, okay, this might have a bit shot to, it's a good know, to environment. go to the moon. It's a, it's a great say, window, a great business. IPO window, a great environment. If there's problems with this, then I don't know what that means. I mean, it, it is valued at a lot more than, what, what was it a year ago? And what's it being valued at today? It's three times. Oh, goodness, three times. Yeah. Ago, yeah. Three times. But it makes for interest. This, this, is, uh, this is why we do this, right? Days like this. Because there's days to ask me why. I I ask myself why. (laughs) And then (laughs) then that's your answer? We're watching shares of Facebook, speaking of. Those are under pressure this morning. A social media giant beating the street on both the top and bottom lines in the latest quarter. It was really a blowout. The company is warning investors, however, that revenue growth is expected to slow significantly in the second half. CEO Mark Zuckerberg on the conference call last night had this to say. The ads business is so large that it's going to take a long time before anything that we do with commerce is going to be particularly meaningful at, at, at scale. But I think overall, the, the strategy is, is really to work our way down the funnel from, um, you know, from discovery and, and all, all the things that we're already world-class at with ads to making it so that those ads increasingly point to shops across our different services. All right, well, Facebook shares down about 4% right now pre-market. They're still up 31% year-to-date, however. 
Uh, and we're going to continue to keep an eye on that, just given the fact that we have had this big march of big cap tech this week. And despite the fact that we're seeing a lot of earnings beats, guys, we're still poised to be lower for this week, at least for all the major averages. Makes sense, sort of, doesn't it? Because they anticipated such good results. And they have yeah. been incredible. Earnings catching up to price. Right. Ford shares are trading higher. The automaker reporting a surprise second quarter profit. Sales rose nearly 40 percent, beating forecasts. And Ford says its strong demand for its vehicles allowed it to forego discounting them. And it sees chip supply improving. The company raising its guidance for the year, but it does note some headwinds, including uh, rising commodity prices uh, and $1.5 billion in costs related to its ongoing shift to electric vehicles. Andrew, when's the last time you took a long trip on the road? Long trip on the road? Were you listening to me earlier yes, this week no, what I, I told I you? Heard, no, I know. Did you, you hear about my trip? No, but no, I already went on You it. went on your one on But Friday, an adaptive, but yeah, I, I went to Cincinnati on a Friday, came back on a Sunday. So, and I drove the, the whole, but this adaptive cruise control, I'm telling you, it's like having, you know, God is usually my co-pilot, but like my adaptive Auto, cruise control. Like autopilot. It's like. For the Tesla. It is. Yeah, but it's not even as good as that. But there, I will tell you that, and, and you stay exact, you can set how many lanes you're behind. Yeah. So it, it's all you need to do is steer, which makes your mind sometimes say, you don't need to stay awake. It's fine. Everything's good. Go ahead. You can, and there were a few times where I, where I went like that, where it was trying to talk me into just, so that's what happens with. I'm with, just thinking of the viewer who turned on the TV. And saw me. <laughs> <laughs> You don't need to stay awake. Yeah, right, right. right. What? I'm like hypnotizing. All right, wake up, wake up. Okay. I didn't mean to do that. Coffee. But right. no, it was the greatest. It's a game changer. This adaptive. It's radar, radar controlled cruise control. That, that's what it is. So don't worry about getting a vacuum cleaner in your minivan. Yep. Get get a car with adaptive cruise control. That that was the feature I was looking for. That's all he wants. Yeah. A vacuum cleaner. When he goes and shops for a new car, minivan with a vacuum cleaner, which is, a, to me, that's very sad. <laughs> I don't know. I'm with you. I got little kids. My car gets right. messy. Coming up next on Squawk Pod, Andrew Ross Sorkin's interview with Robinhood CEO Vlad Tenev on the morning of the company's IPO. When you hear the mission of Robinhood to democratize finance for all, it's really about giving access to everyone what was once reserved for the 1% or the very wealthy. We're back after this. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with P. Jim, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. 
Our Andrew Ross Sorkin spoke to the co-founder and CEO of Robinhood, Vlad Tenev, in person, outdoors, on a terrace at the NASDAQ high above Times Square in New York. This interview was conducted Thursday morning as the first public trades under the ticker Hood were anticipated. Now, one factor complicating Robinhood's public debut is the company reserved some of its IPO shares for its own retail clients, rather than most being allocated to Wall Street institutional investors or wealthy individuals. So the public launch of Robinhood is a key moment of proof for the power of the retail investor. Here's Andrew with Vlad Tenev. Eight years ago, right? More than eight years ago, you you co-founded this company. Eight years, but uh, six years after we launched our product. And and so, amazing. You know, more than anything, this this company now represents this this retail trading movement. And so, before we even talk about the company, what what does this moment represent to you? I mean, it's a very special moment for me and for my co-founder. We we came here as immigrants to this country. You know, I I came at JFK Airport right here in New York. Um, and then 30 years later, less than 30 years later, we're here and uh, starting from, from nothing created this company that serves over 22 million customers. So lots of questions about this offering. And in particular, I mentioned the retail investor. What's so unique about this offering is how much uh, presence of retail investors there is going to be in this stock now. How do you think about that? And do you know how much has been allocated to the retail versus institutions? Oh, it's certainly going to be one of the largest retail allocations ever. And I think when you when you hear the mission of Robinhood to democratize finance for all, it's really about giving access to everyone what was once reserved for the 1% or the, the very wealthy. So um, it makes a lot of sense, very consistent with uh, how we've always operated. So we're, we're proud to have one of the largest retail allocations. Do you, know, do you know the number, though? Because I know it was going to be between somewhere between... 20% and 35% we've been hearing uh, it's uh, somewhere in that range but can you can you can you pin I can't, it down for I can unfortunately share the exact allocation details other than to say we're we're very proud to to give our customers access uh, how will it change the way you think that you'll run the company and communicate with the investor base and the reason I ask is the retail yeah. investor base is a very different type of investor base we've seen for example that the retail investor base at least over the past couple of weeks when it came to uh, the Lucid uh, SPAC, for example, they don't vote. It's harder to reach them. Uh, you know, AMC has now had some issues in terms of getting the vote from shareholders on certain issues. Yeah, I think, I think it's certainly something we're interested in. You probably saw that we did a customer roadshow last weekend, and we're going to try new things. We think that it's important not just uh, for retail investors to participate, but uh, for there to be dialogue between retail investors and the companies that they're invested in. So it's, it's definitely something that uh, you'll see us engaging with. And I think the customer roadshow was, was one example of new things we can do. Um, you talked about democratizing uh, investing and, and that you have very much done. But it's also come with this question about payment for order flow and whether the customer is not the customer, whether the Robinhood customer is really not the one that's paying for all of this, but it is the quote-unquote establishment, right? And, and, and the, it's the citadels of the world. It's the virtues of the world. They're actually paying 75% of the revenues uh, that the company gets. What do you say about that, and how do you explain it? Yeah, it doesn't resonate with me. The, um, you know, this business model that we've helped pioneer, which is now the standard business model for retail brokerage in the U.S., um, has allowed so many more people to participate. 
and has led to an aggregate Right. Lots more money being put into customers' pockets rather than corporate profits. So we've, we're, we're proud to have passed back more value to customers, and we'll continue to keep doing that. I think eliminating commissions was really just the start. What do you think the risk, though, long-term is to the business model of payment for order flow, given how much of a, a, a how big a percentage of your revenue it represents? Well, I, I do think we'll, we're going to have to keep uh, a dialogue with the public, with the, with the media about what payment for order flow is. I think you've probably seen me over the past yep. couple of months engaging more openly uh, in the topic. And the truth is, uh, I think it could be better explained and we, we could continue to do that. And I think uh, we'll continue defending it as something that has led to a much greater diverse uh, set of people right. participating in the markets. And I think from a business level, You'll see Robinhood continue to diversify its business lines and its revenue over time. I mean, in particular, just in the past couple of quarters, even within transaction-based revenue, you've seen uh, cryptocurrency take a a larger share. Well, that's what I was going to ask you, which is that a huge part of the business became Dogecoin uh, in the quarter uh, prior. And whether you believe that that's sustainable, what that ultimately means to the business when we have these sort of meme moments... I mean, my, my, my philosophy, the philosophy of Robin, is to make it as easy as possible to participate. And on the brokerage side, the goal is really how do you take first-time investors and turn them into long-term investors? And you've seen that through a lot of the products that we've rolled out recently, fractional shares, drip, recurring right. investments. We're seeing a lot of really exciting engagement with those, and we're going to continue making them better and better. So, of course, there's going to be idiosyncratic moments where you know, something becomes more culturally relevant, like uh, a particular cryptocurrency or a particular stock. And of course, we have to be available for our customers. But speak to this, because it's the thing that I, that I think feels at odds. On The business model does rely on, to some degree, volatility, trading, options, crypto on that side. And on the other side, I know that the company is spending an inordinate amount of time trying to both educate investors and trying to push the idea that these are long-term investors. But the longer-term investor is not going to be as profitable investor. Yeah, well, I mean, we're, we're optimizing for happy customers and we're optimizing for the long-term. So making, making first-time investors into long-term investors and giving people more selection and diversifying the product suite based on what customers tell us. They tell us they want help spending, saving money. Uh, we want to offer all of those things. So I think over the long run, if we right. focus on happy customers and they use our products, uh, we'll have diversified revenue and it'll be fundamentally very, very good for the business. What's the chance that Robinhood itself becomes a meme stock? Have you thought about that? Uh, that's uh, very self-referential. Uh, no, I... Uh, I haven't thought about it much. But in terms, and this goes to the communication issue, though. I mean, you know, you, you occasionally see Ryan Cohen uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, GameStop. He'll put out a tweet. I don't know if it's intentional or not. I think it probably isn't. But he'll put, you know, a picture of an ice cream cone. And all of a sudden, there's folks on Reddit who think, you know, are trying to divine meaning into that. And so how you think about, again, this goes to yeah. how you communicate and what you say and whether you think that actually, you know, literally a tweet can move the stock. Yeah, I mean, I think what's interesting with um, 
what we've seen in retail investing over the past year is that a lot of these companies have been hit hard by the pandemic, right? And you see it started with uh, some of the airlines and then followed with some of the retailers, um, some movie chains and, uh, and brick and mortar. Right. And, you know, you, you have the institutions that are basically writing these companies off and then retail investors coming in and, and, and keeping them up and supporting so does them. That, but does that make sense to you? When you look at an AMC stock, for example, um, or, or any of these others that have moved in this way, do you say this is healthy for the markets? Do you say this is unhealthy for the markets? Well, I, I probably shouldn't comment on my own views but on. You might, on, but I assume you must have stocks. views about whether no, but but it is it's a phenomenon, and it's a phenomenon impacted in large part by your own users. And so I'm I'm, I'm curious sort of how you personally think about it. I I think it's a real thing. I mean, customers right. there's customers that love these companies. They want them to uh, to thrive, and you, you're you're seeing them also get resources that allow them to. Uh, hire really good management teams in some cases, and then build for the future. So I, I think it's very interesting. I don't know if if people have understood the ramifications of what high retail participation in the markets means, but I think fundamentally it's a very good right. thing, and and we're excited to to be a part of it. A lot of times when a business has a major challenge, a customer facing business has a challenge, the customer walks, and in in your case, they didn't walk; they actually kept you know, even more came on. How did you think about that? Well, at the time, we were just making sure that we were focused on the basics. Like, how can we make sure our service is reliable and robust and stable through, uh, through all of the load that we were seeing, which was unprecedented at the time? How can we make sure customer support is working? Um, and how do, we, how do we get better every, every single day? And I think it speaks to how much customers love the product fundamentally. Um, they're continuing to refer their friends. 80 plus percent of our new growth is organic and word of mouth. And we think we've just scratched the surface on that. I think there's, there's a lot more that we could do to serve people. Long term, how much of the business do you think is crypto? And, and the reason I ask is uh, we interviewed Elizabeth Warren, uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren yesterday, and she talked about crypto in the context of snake oil. As long as people can sell snake oil, it turns out that nobody really invested in having good drugs that were safe and that helped people. And once we really had an FDA that stood up and that said, you know what, we're going to test these drugs before they go on the market. We're going to assure the public that they are safe. Then look what happened. We got a whole lot more investment and obviously a much bigger market that helped the entire world. I don't want to wait until a whole lot of people, a whole lot of small investors, a whole lot of small traders have been completely wiped out. What do you think is going to come down the pike when it comes to regulation of crypto and how it might affect you? I think, you know, we're going to be a participant. It's clear that our customers are interested in this asset class. And I think it's becoming a more and more widely accepted asset class. You're seeing institutions taking a bigger role. Um, it's global by nature, which I think presents an interesting opportunity for Robinhood because it's a it's a accelerant potentially for international right. expansion into certain markets. So of course we're going to have to continue constructive dialogue, and people are trying to figure out what the regulatory framework is going to be, and, and we welcome that. What do you think is the defensive moat around Robinhood? I think there there's a lot. Um, I think the brand 
Robinhood really stands for the, this next generation of consumers. Um, and I don't think other incumbent brokers can can own the, the message of being for the next generation and democratizing as much as we can. And I think that resonates with more and more people. I mean, it's it's a message that has kind of snowballed, especially in the past 10 years. Of course, it's more than the brand. I think we've delivered the goods. When we say we're democratizing access to finance, um, it's not just you know a slogan for us, but you can see that through all of our products, like the stock trading business, crypto options, our debit card and savings products, and more recently, IPO access, which allows customers to participate um, on IPOs. Yeah. So given this IPO, what is success for you? When, when you talked to the bankers at Goldman Sachs yesterday and you, you were setting, trying to set the price, um, you know, it, it, did, it did start or is, it, it was, was at the, the lower end of the range at $38. Did you say to yourself, I want a 10%, if we can get a 10% pop on day one, that's great. 20%, I don't want it to go down. Tell us, tell us the way you thought about it. The way, the way that we like to run the business, it, it, it goes back to our top value, safety first. We generally like to be conservative. And I know that there's a lot of misconceptions around Robinhood and how we operate, but we like to be conservative. And what we wanted to make sure is that everyone is set up for long-term success. I mean, ultimately, it's, a, it, it's great to, to be here in Times Square, but it is a moment in time. And... You know, you're, you're going to find that Jason, our, our CFO, and I aren't going to be commenting too much on day-to-day price fluctuations and, and what we want right. to see. We want to be a long-term business that adds more and more value to customers. And, uh, you know, these short-term fluctuations over the long run just wash out. Right. We'd like to be a heavy company in the, in the words of Benjamin Graham. Um- and how much influence do you think your shareholders should have on the company? I ask because of the control nature of, of the way you structured the governance. I think we, we'd obviously like to hear from our shareholders. We're going to respect all of them, retail and institutional, um, and maintain really healthy dialogue. I think that you mentioned the share structure. Right. We think the reason that that's become um, more important and more prevalent is because you know, to run a short-term business, it's good to avoid short-term distractions. To, to run a long-term business, it's important to avoid those types of distractions. We think this positions us well to be to be a long-term focused company that takes big bets and continues to, to challenge the status quo. And, and finally, when, when investors today think about your company, should they think about you as a competitor, if you will, when they're thinking about the comps, the comparables, to the coin bases of the world, to certain banks to a, to a, a brokerage firm what, what, do, what do you think the fair comp is I you know I, I don't know if I'm gonna if I'm the best person to to tell investors what our comps are what I'm focused on is customers I think it's a technology company that's very financial that's obviously in financial services I don't think I think it's a unique company uh, there's not a lot of companies with our with our growth profile and uh, and our product set in financial services. So um, it, it's certainly a different, a, a unique opportunity and a unique business that we're building. Um, five years from now, what does, this, what does this company look like? Five years from now, we want Robinhood to be the most trusted and most culturally relevant money app worldwide. So not just investing, we're already going beyond investing and not just in the US as well. 
Uh, we wish you a lot of luck with it. Congratulations uh, on a milestone day for you, and uh, we hope to see you again very, very soon. Thank you, sir. Thank it's you. Good to be here good with to you. See, and good to see you in person, no yes. less, after all this time. Squawk Pod will be right back. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on-brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Well, that is it for us uh, on Squawk Box right now. Morgan, thank you for hanging out. Hey, thanks Another for having day, me. Another week. Just us tomorrow. There. Just, just you and me. Yeah. Just you and me. I know you're going to miss me. Make sure we you join us tomorrow. And that is Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. Listen and follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please let us know. Tweet us at Squawk CNBC, or if you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can give us feedback right on your phone. Rate this podcast five stars or write a review. That helps other listeners find Squawk Pod. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.